all of the beauty and all of the positive effect that I've seen this piece in just two weeks have on hundreds of thousands of people, it all actually came from a negative thought and emotion. Mm -hmm. Life is 50-50 and if you can settle back into that and instead of looking at what feels like a negative 50 as failure or a bad day, instead look at it as an opportunity or even look back on it with admiration about where it's brought you. Ooh, that's that's the good stuff. Welcome to Sincerely Future You, a podcast that helps ambitious women like you make decisions today with the future you in mind. Okay, I am so excited for you guys to get to know Ashley. Not only is Ashley an ambitious storyteller, a producer, and a creative leader, most recently known for her work as an executive producer on the upcoming Paramount Plus documentary series, 11 Minutes, which we're going to talk about, but she is also a hapster and a dear friend of mine. And I wanted to have her on the show. It's kind of crazy that she hasn't been on the show yet because uh, she has made so many breakthroughs and has taken the hapster tools and made them her own, not only within her work, but in her personal life as well in so many different ways at so many different levels over the past year. But now that her project is coming out it and she's been doing all of these other podcast interviews, if you just search her name, Ashley Hoff, I'm sure you will, you will get to learn more about the story that you'll get a sneak peek into today and about her documentary series. But really, I wanted you guys to have the privilege of understanding and peeking behind the curtain of like how an, a hapster actually uses these tools to process through some really emotional shit while they are getting the job done. So this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast interview than the ones that she's been doing in the Hollywood scene uh, these days. But I... I think it's going to be really special. So Ashley, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm so excited to be here. I I literally don't know how I would have made it through the past year without you and coaching and it is my supreme honor to get to share a little a little bit of that with the rest of the world. Yeah. So obviously people are like oh, a documentary series. What is this? So I'm going to give you just a second to, not a second, a couple of minutes, however long it takes for you to tell us a little bit about 11 minutes and why you are the person to be telling us this story. Absolutely. So a little over five years ago, I had a fourth row seat to our nation's largest mass shooting to date. It was Las Vegas, Nevada at the Route 91 Harvest Festival. And coming out of that situation, you know, I, uh, my husband, the people we knew were blessed to walk away as survivors. And as a storyteller, I, I watched the story fade out pretty quickly. And as these sort of yearly markers would come up, we'd see it re-enter the news cycle again. And I found myself really disappointed that the point of view that was often explored was that of the worst person there. And it just mm -hmm. wasn't the history that I held on to when I was having hard days. I remember bearing witness to 
some of the most incredible moments of humanity I believe that I ever will. And truly just people not only showing up for each other, but putting their lives on the line for each other. And as this five-year marker approached, that's really the history that I wanted to see recorded, that I wanted to hear talk about. I wanted, I wanted the focus to be on the light that was in the darkness, not on the darkness. Hmm. And so for quite some time, it's as a storyteller been pushing and pulling on my heart. I'm a person who believes in reason and the unreasonable. And I always thought maybe, maybe that's why I was there that night. Maybe that's why my, my feet were planted at that concert is because I'm a storyteller. And as media, we get the honor of not only writing history, we get, we're actually the only people who can rewrite history. And mm. so I really wanted to take the opportunity to change the point of view that was discussed on this particular anniversary. And, and like I said, put a, a light on the stories that have inspired me for the past, you know, several years. Yeah. And so 11 minutes you mentioned is really about the survivors. It's about the people who walked away and kind of what now. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that and about kind of your role in coming, having this experience, bringing it to life. And then now it just is available now and streaming on Paramount Plus. I actually can't believe it because I, I'm in the process of like renewing my Paramount Plus so that I can uh, go and watch it all. It, it's never been quite the emotional time because obviously this is a, it's a very intense uh, series. And for you being someone who was a part of it, like how did that work with you showing up to work and then also being not just the subject, but the producer? Yeah, it's it's interesting. This was sort of the exact collision of my personal and professional life. I've never I've definitely worked on things that I've taken personally or that I've had a personal vestment in as a, a storyteller. It's never been quite like this. This, you know, this wasn't just a story. This is an actual memory for myself and 22,000 plus other people. So not just for me, but also for them, it had to really be done with integrity and respect and and truly with love. You know, I think a lot of people yeah. initially got asked to, to share their story or um, got approached about what happened to them when it was very raw and they weren't in a headspace to actually be able to figure out, is this, is this a story I wanna share with the world and how do I wanna share it? We've had some breath in between the incident and when we started making the documentary. And so for me personally, it was, okay, how do I work to, you know, to use the old airplane adage, put my own mask on first mm -hmm. so that I can be a, a leader and a support system for other people who feel called to tell their story. I, I believed I got the story for a reason. And if other people felt the same, which I knew there were people out there who did, how was I going to first work on myself so that I was truly emotionally and physically strong enough to mm -hmm. be able to help them through that journey? Some of them telling their stories for the, the very first time, some of them 
telling it in details they hadn't for for many years. Some of them, you know, telling it uh, for the hundredth time. You know, I, everybody was in a different place that we spoke to, and so you know, I I can't say enough about you know mental health care and weekly therapy and weekly coaching and everything it did to give me the tools to be able to not just tell what I believe is an incredibly important story, but to be a leader and a support system for other people who are going to be a part of this journey. Yeah. And I think if anyone is currently listening and you're going through it right now, whether it is, I mean, my audience, the people that were are listening right now are business owners. But I always say business isn't personal, but it is emotional. And I think it's really something that's not talked about enough of like, how do we put ourselves in a position, like you said, to be strong enough to get the job done, to get the result that you wanted, to have the impact that you want this documentary to have while you're also processing through, in your case, serious trauma. And so if you're listening um, and you're going through whatever it is you're going through, for me as a business owner, my first real serious um, negative emotion I had to process was when I was going through my miscarriage. And I had to figure out like, how do I prioritize my own mental health and get to the place where whatever I'm delivering is not from an open wound, but rather from a scar Or how can I get neutral enough to be able to put distance between me and the thing that I'm talking about so that I can remain unbiased? So obviously you mentioned a couple of the ways, but um, what what advice do you have for anyone who is kind of in an emotional, we call it the 50-50, right? But in in that negative 50%. Absolutely. I – as a person, I, I'm genuinely uh, an emotional and a heartfelt person. I feel the feels and I feel them real deeply. And I, uh, you know, you know, from coaching sessions, I, I have a heart, I, I'm hard on myself about that. Mm. I, a lot of times struggle with is being emotional, especially honestly, as, as a woman, um, is it a, is it being viewed as a good thing or a bad thing? And I, I truly believe that I've tried to, I, I truly believe that I've worked hard to own it as a superpower. And I actually think it was you who said to me, you know, this wasn't a normal thing and it would be far more abnormal to pretend it is. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, what I would encourage others to say is bringing your vulnerability to the table it only encourages that from other people. It encourages a safe space and it lets them know that you are coming as your authentic self. And I'm not saying like there's a a time and a place to to keep it professional, but Mm -hmm. I think there's something, you know, that we struggle with in, in business form sometimes, which is, you know, do we have to show up and, and just keep it all together all the time and be this tough cookie. And Mm -hmm. I truly think, there's a time and a place for both. And I I believe that showing up authentically is really what allows other people to feel most comfortable with you and goes a little bit further in the long run. I, uh, I'll also mention, because I think it was 
perhaps the thing in the past year that we've talked about that rocked me the most, which is, you know, really incredible things can come from a negative thought or emotion. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget the morning you said that to me. And I, I don't know if I even spoke for like an hour afterwards. I journaled like a crazy person. I, everything about this project came about because I was dissatisfied about the narrative that I heard out there. So truly, Mm -hmm. if I'm honest, all of the beauty and all of the positive effect that I've seen this piece in just two weeks have on hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. it all actually came from a negative thought and emotion. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, it's true. It's it, life is 50, 50. And you, if you can settle back into that and instead of looking at what feels like a negative 50 as failure or a bad day instead look at instead look at it as an opportunity or even look back on it with admiration about where it's brought you who that's that's the good stuff and it, i mean listen i'm i'm preaching it like i'm an expert right now but uh it <laughs> it took me a long time to really be able to to reckon with with that life lesson. Yeah. I mean, you need to give yourself grace and space, of course. And then it's like balancing that line. Like I know that it's going to take me time to be able to have the full perspective, but while I'm in it, what can I do to kind of just get myself back to somewhat neutral while I'm trying to process through and add some value? So Talking about the project and the actual work that you were doing, um, once it got the green light and you knew that you were going to be working on this, um, can you, I I mean, I know that you give us a high level um, of what the, what the docuseries covers, um, but can you tell us a little bit more about your specific story? I know the, maybe tell us about the, the article that you know, my producers were reading earlier and just saying that they got the chills, that it was so well articulated that they were right there with you. And I know you're such a brilliant storyteller. I I always compliment Ashley on her, on her gifted emotional vocabulary, because (laughs) I say that really it is a skill that helps you experience life at such a deeper level because your emotions are just vibrations in your body that come from a sentence in your brain. And tweaking one of those words a little bit changes your physical experience of it. And so when people were reading the article that you told and your personal experience um, at the concert that uh, they, they were able to actually feel the empathy that you that is required for people to take action and to have that value add. So just tell us a little bit about that story. Absolutely. So I had attended Route 91 several times. It's what my husband and I did to celebrate our anniversary every year. We are very different people, but always oh, had a that. mutual. Oh. I didn't know that, that you oh, had really? gone like consistently every year. No, I didn't know that. 
Yeah, no, we, so we, we had gone multiple years, honestly, and I, I always feel a need to shout this out because I know several people who work to put on this festival. It was the best darn time until it wasn't, it was, you know, you think of music festivals, they're often out in the desert or in, you know, I'm from Iowa, they're out in a field somewhere, you're camping, you're dirty, (laughs) it's like kind of gross. This was the exact opposite. You got a lovely hotel in Vegas and you could easily bought back and forth to the show. And if you weren't a fan of someone or you needed a break, you went to the pool or you went to a nice dinner or you saw another show. It was, it was special. And even the artists would tell you that looking back on that sea of people, you know, holding their cell phone with the Vegas strip in the background, it, it was magical. And so it was the last night we had just got done seeing Luke Holmes in a very intimate setting and I remember um, my husband coming back from the bathroom and snapping a photo of me, uh, which is was a part of the, the article that you referenced. But um, he said, you know, wow, you just you look like you're just having like the, the greatest time. Like I must have just been having a moment. And truly for me, there is nothing better than a a warm night a cold beer and dancing with people who are all like feeling the music at a show. Mm -hmm. Um, I sing like a dying cat. So I have mad admiration for any (laughs) musician. And I was excited. I was excited to go see Jason Aldean. He snapped a photo of me on the way out and we had went over to the stage and we had really stood in the same spot year after year. It was on the right-hand side of the stage uh he's not a fan of getting up close i i grew up in a family that my mom was like if you can skivvy your way up somewhere like mm-hmm. you do it like you we didn't pay to watch it on the screen and so we did we were we were standing in the fourth row uh the first couple jason songs um occurred and i heard the the chords for my favorite song at the time which was his big radio hit when she says baby and truthfully, right before that, we had heard a couple of, of popping noises. And I remember turning to Sean and saying, do you think someone brought fireworks in here? Now, this is a music festival on day three in Las Vegas, Nevada. So at this point, there, you know, people had been drinking. It wasn't that outlandish to think yeah, someone brought yeah. fireworks in. Um, he said, maybe it's an amp blowing. And we continued on. I went to take a photo and turn back to him and say, isn't this amazing? And I watched the person behind him get shot in the face. And I dropped my phone, I ripped him to the ground and um, we we remained there for what would be three rounds of shooting before we ended up getting up to run. Uh, the running for me, it, it, it was tough. As it turns out, cowboy boots are very bad running shoes and 20,000 people dropping their drinks made that cement once we got to it like an ice skating rink so i fell several times before kind of going behind a cement barrier where we pulled a couple of other girls in and i quickly took off my boots before we continued running about three and a half miles down the las vegas strip we stopped to take a breath outside of the planet hollywood and i had had some bad just road rash on my legs i was wearing jean shorts And someone came out and said, you know, there's medical attention inside if you want to go in. And down that side of the strip, no one really knew what was going on at the time. So we didn't really know how to take that. There was also a lot of rumors swirling about because people were walking into hotels 
shot. And so shooters were being reported from those hotels. So for us, it felt like we were in the middle of what we could only imagine, you know, was a 9-11 style terrorist attack. You know, it, it, it was, it was terrifying. We, um, did go into that hotel for a moment. Someone dropped something. They yelled shooter, shooter again. We saw a couple run upstairs in the parking to the parking garage level. And I said, we should follow them. And he said, no, we have to get outside. And I said, there's only one reason you go upstairs and that's because you have a car. And we followed a couple to their car. We threw ourselves on top of their windshield. They were not super happy about that at first, but they got out of the car and we explained to them, you have the opportunity to save our life. There's something really bad going on here and we all need to get out of here as fast as possible. And God bless Ben and Jackie, two complete strangers. They led us into their back seat and let us ride home with them to Ontario, California. They had been checking in, so they had no idea what was going on or why we were full of dirt and blood. And it was around Barstow, I think we stopped to get gas. And I, I must have been in such extreme shock that I didn't even realize until I went to push the door open that my arm was broken. Um, I rarely even mention my arm being broken because truthfully, looking back on it, it feels in some ways insignificant. You know, I, I know, I know what was lost there that night. And, um, that, that was nothing that was, um, moving forward, simply a reminder of, of the blessing that, that I got to receive and others I know got to receive walking, being able to walk out of that field. And so we made it home, um, around seven 30 the next morning and, like I said, moving forward, I, you know, there were several things that sort of reminded me as a storyteller that there was a story there. And one of those things was those cowboy boots that I took off. I got home and again, walked away with my life and shouldn't have been thinking about any material things whatsoever. However, I couldn't stop obsessing about the cowboy boots. To be clear, they were like 20 some bucks from a local thrift store. There was no family connection. There really wasn't an emotional connection. I thought they were super cute. That was really where it lived. They were comfortable to wear to concerts, but I couldn't let it go. I called my best friend and that lived in Las Vegas at the time. And he went down to uh, the facility where they were housing a lot of items that had been taken from the field and um, put into sort of a lost and found system. And they weren't there. And he put me on the phone with an FBI agent who proceeded to tell me that a lot of items had been damaged or they needed to be cleaned. And so there was going to be a catalog that was sent out to people if I'd like to place a claim. And I near laughed at this woman. Um, I still feel bad about it to this day. I was not in a great place, so I'll give myself a little bit of grace. But I thought in my head, here is the FBI dealing with this nation, you know, uh, wrenching this, this huge tragedy and someone's thinking, going to be thinking about cataloging my old thrift store boots. Like that seemed ridiculous to me, Yeah. but I placed the claim and then I continued on and I continued obsessing. I found myself on website after website, um, trying to figure out who made these boots and albeit some weeks in, I figured out who the maker was. I found a tracked down a pair on eBay that were two sizes too small. I ordered them. I, why? Like they didn't fit. I knew they didn't fit. Um, 
but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I'll never forget setting at work about eight months later and an email coming in uh, to your email box, which if you've ever um, had an email come from the FBI, it's it's a weird email to receive. You're like, is this spam? I'm unsure. Um, and so I, I opened it and there was a link to that catalog that they talked about, thousands of items, I believe 77 pages of shoes alone, five pairs on each page, and they're on 56 wow. were there, those cowboy boots. And one month to the day later, an agent personally brought them to my house and I'll never forget opening that box. And it was the greatest wave of clarity. I, I knew exactly why I couldn't stop thinking about them. They were the last part of me that was in that field and they got to come home, but they were also a part of my life-saving miracle and certainly responsible for my arm being broken, but it was all about space and timing. The only thing that separated what happened to people that night was inches on the ground and that those times falling changed our trajectory. It changed the trajectory of everyone we came into contact with that mm -hmm. night. And so as a nosy journalist, I started asking the FBI agent, how'd you get this job? You know, I, this is this is so interesting. And <laughs> he explained to me that a division of the FBI was created specifically to deliver items from mass acts of violence back to survivors and the families of victims. Wow. And we often see the FBI portrayed as very cold and mechanical. And I thought it was so warm the foresight they had to recognize that these items in the snap of a finger went from ordinary to extraordinary. They became someone's flag of survival. They became someone's closure. You know, for me, that was the moment I, I truly felt like I could start a new chapter. And, you know, for others, they they might have become their last something of their someone. It it mattered so much. And after mm -hmm. Debbie, my agent, left, I went back in and I I found myself in the catalog. And as I did, the items all of a sudden started to look a little bit different. They, they weren't just items. They were a representation of an incredible human being's story from that night. And as I looked at those thousands of items, I thought there, there is such an incredible story to tell here. And it's not the one I see being told. And I felt it all at once that that churning as a storyteller you get in your gut and that pressing you get on your heart. It's somewhere between butterflies and, oh my gosh, I'm going to puke at any moment. And that really was the birth of 11 minutes. And it evolved a lot over the course of time. But the one thing that really remained the same through and through was that that sort of tagline notion of, Yes, we were going to tell the story of that night, but we were going to place an emphasis of the on the we were going to place an emphasis on the light that was in the darkness, the resiliency, the heroism, the connections made because we felt like only through narrative could we change people's hearts. You know, there's a lot of polarizing topics that come around events like this, and we wanted everyone to feel called to watch and even I always said if if just one person was inspired to be kinder, to know that that bravery and kindness, although simple things are huge, they are life-changing and life-saving. I believe people who feel loved and seen don't commit mass acts of violence, but I also watched how they they changed everything for people that night. And so I, I thought, gosh, if 
if we could do just that with the story, if that's all we did, excellent. But I, I wanted it to be a story that people walked away from feeling like they knew knew these people and they weren't just people on the news. I think I was yeah. very, I think I was super naive to think this was scary stuff that happened to people on the news. And if I'm really honest, I, I didn't think it would be a part of my story, but it is happens to Ashley's and Natalie's and Sean's and Jonathan's. And I wanted, I wanted people to know that, to know they aren't just people on the news. They're, they're real people. And this is a real thing. I'm, I'm really trying to make sure I say the right word here, because I know that from our coaching relationship, how important it is to you that your story doesn't pull focus. Like you said, you didn't mention breaking your arm because it wasn't to the level of what was lost that night. But I think that perspective and perception is reality. And your experience obviously is just as valid of an experience as anyone else's, which is why the survivors, even though Mm -hmm. it isn't the story that is the most Mm -hmm. traumatic and or tragic, still deserves some time and some light shed on it so that they can process through it. And it's so responsible of you to do the work to manage your emotions and your mind to find the story to tell. Because without that diligence that you had to kind of sit and think, okay, these boots, this catalog, these other people that didn't, you know, end up in the hospital even, they deserve the impact and the value that came from you creating the story. And it wouldn't be able to be created unless you manage your mind. And I just think it's so important. I mean, I want the hapsters who are listening to see themselves in your story in that if you're going through something, there's really no timeline for you to have to do any of this to give back or any anything like that, but that it just makes doing your work so much more profound when you can embrace that 50-50, that dichotomy of, okay, this was a horrible thing. And also this catalog, which seems so insignificant, is the point. These boots are the point. And I'll say to that, Jess, like, I think it's important to recognize too, like trauma doesn't discriminate. Like what, right. what feels like it should be very traumatic to someone um, or what doesn't for that right. person, it's, it's how they're digesting it, right? It's how they're dealing with it on an everyday basis. And so, you know, my greatest regret is that we didn't have infinite time to tell every person's story because they're all incredible and they've all really been through something and and are still going through it. It's not just about surviving 11 minutes. It's, you know, being a survivor of an event like this is surviving second one and every second for the rest of your life. Are you a woman business owner that still feels like they're just kind of winging it behind the scenes? Maybe you have a product or a service that you love and you're so passionate about, but you feel like your time is just getting sucked away and you feel like you're losing your life to your business, or you feel like you are on that entrepreneur roller coaster where one month you're 
killing it and you are raking in the dough. And then the next month you're like, how come I don't have enough money left? Whether you are trying to leave a full-time job to go full-time in your business or whether you're trying to scale to multiple six figures, Happening Sessions is the room for you. It's where we take a business owner that doesn't have a business degree and we help them become the most masterful CEO version of themselves. We focus on your time management, your money management, and your CEO drama so that you can get out of your own way, clean up the math and separate it from your story about what's happening. Because I promise you that once you can see how your thoughts have been holding you back, you'll be able to get right back down to the math and get results so much quicker. Don't take it from me, take it from the hapsters themselves. If you want to know what it's like in the room, just go to whatshappening.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-H-A-P-P-Y-N-I-N-G.com and look at the testimonial video. It is full of entrepreneurs who have joined and then had more money, more time, and more calm on the other side. Let's go. Enrollment starts November 9th through the 13th, and we're enrolling for the March 2023 class. We enroll four months in advance. So that means if you're thinking about it right now, you better just get off the fence and make a decision. If you know that these are results that you want, don't worry. I took the heavy decision-making off of your plate. That's why I put a money-back guarantee on this program because I know that it gets results. If you do not get the results of more time, more money, and more calm as a CEO, I give you your money back. I cannot wait to see which 15 women are selected to come into happening sessions for the next round. Is it going to be you? Let's go. Hapsters. If you want to learn more about today's topic, head over to whatshappening.com forward slash podcast. That's what's happening, W H A T S H A P P Y N I N G.com forward slash podcast. If you're a business owner and you're resonating with what we talk about here, what are you even doing? Come hang out with me over where the party's at on Instagram at what's happening, W Jets. Again, that's happy. H-A-P-P-Y-N-I-N-G and book a discovery call to see if coaching is your next best step.